I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, welcome to the 385th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Tamar. Thanks, Tamar. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Christina Archer on the show. She's a filmmaker and a commercial director in her own right. We're here to talk to her not only about her career and all of the different artistic ideas and aspirations she has, but we dig in on how one uses artificial intelligence and all of these different image-making tools in a more traditional filmmaking workflow. So it's kind of a cool two-sided conversation to AI, but also just kind of the nuts and bolts of how to live an artistically fulfilled filling life as a commercial director yeah we also touch on unreal engine and uh, shooting on the volume and it is the type of thing that to me is really interesting but also seems like there are a lot of barriers to enter that world and she kind of helps break them down a little bit and even talks to us about a short film she's making that she's funding herself and how she managed to shoot it on the volume which is typically something that at least I think of as a very expensive thing to do, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. she's kind of figured out a way to do it for inexpensively. Spoiler alert, has to do with making relationships with the people that run the volume. But yeah, Christina's awesome. She's super talented. Uh, it might be helpful if you happen to be by a computer right now to look her up on Instagram. She is Archer Studio, but there's a dot between the S-T-U-D and the I-O, so... Uh, archerstud.io on Instagram and you'll be able to see kind of her work and her aesthetic. She does these like really stylized sets and color blocking and you know she she wants to break free of that a little bit you know like we all do kind of expand beyond the things that we're known for but her work is really awesome. If you look at it while you listen to our conversation I think you'll have a little bit more context when we kind of delve into why shooting on the volume is cool for her why stylized sets are challenging and the ways to overcome those challenges. So it's really fun. But before we talk to Christina, uh, Matt, I believe you wanted to remind people that we had a Patreon page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happens to be at uh, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. That is the place where you can throw us a few bucks if you want to support the show. If you feel like you get something out of the show and you want to keep it going, that's the place to go. It is genuinely very helpful. I know we say that week over week. You know, there's always ebbs and flows and people kind of give whatever they can when it's financially affordable for them. We are not paying for all of the costs of the show on a month by month basis. So we are going out of pocket to pay for the show. 
So if you're, you know, like, hey, I've got an extra buck or two a month, consider contributing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash justshootedpod. And keep this show moving. Keep um, keep money in Editor Noah's pocket because uh, he's doing the Lord's work. And without him, we wouldn't have the show. That's for sure. And here's Christina Archer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We're here with Christina Archer of Archer Stud. Dot io is that <laughs> intentional or is it archer studio archer studio uh you know you f- you fight for the instagram names you, mm-hmm. you try to pay people you know mm-hmm. they hold them hostage just like domains it's what it is <laughs> i mean archer studio that's a really awesome name so i would i understand why that would be competitive yeah you know i've leaned into my last name as much as i can because my first cool. name is spelled very strangely yeah, K R I S T Y N A. And that my question is in your name. Why? <laughs> is it spelled like that? Are you from uh, some Scandinavian country? I am uh, Polish and Irish. And uh, yeah, I think there is some roots that are unknown because, yeah, I get that question a lot. When I went to Sweden, they all spoke to me, you know, in their native tongue. So, <laughs> so Christina, I know you because we're on the same roster. An art class. Yes. And yes. I've been watching your work. I think Matt and I, or at least I like saw some of your stuff back when you did some stuff with Jordan Brady about Green the Bid, which is uh, about sustainability and filmmaking, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, me and Jordan like to have fun, obviously. And I know he's been a podcast, um, uh, you know, guest a few times. But yeah, Green the Bid is basically a sustainability initiative, um, like Free the Bid, but instead we're looking to create a zero waste um, goal set for every single department in production. Um, mainly in commercial production because it's AICP guidelines, but in um, the bigger scheme, you know, series work. I know some of the creative consultants have worked um, on longer form for, with the with their own sustainability efforts. So, yeah, but I, but on my side, looking to kind of push commercial uh, productions to be as sustainable as possible. Can you just give us a real quick background into how you got into directing commercials and? all the other stuff? Like, did you start in commercials or? So I actually um, had a career as a commercial photographer, um, you know, for about five years prior and had been kind of slowly developing my voice, developing my interest in directing and um, filmmaking. And just, I think there was a moment where, you know, the ideas, like when you're daydreaming, I think my ideas change from kind of being these like still concepts and then they sort of you know were becoming these much more blown out ideas that I knew like that was the right path for me um and I've always just had such a uh, I connect really well with my DPs because I kind of come from such a visual language really understand lighting and composition um and so it was a really natural progression of my work um do you but, find that I, DPs are like annoyed with how technically savvy you are ever like if you're like what uh, f-stop are we at feels like can we yeah i do like, think that um you know if, if there's an ego there but i think most actually do appreciate the like common common language um because you could just get to the result quicker if you kind of know what you're talking about you're on the same page i'm curious actually about uh that first gig the first motion gig from from stills into a commercial how did that happen you know because there's a little bit of a leap of faith that has to occur right you have this great body of work um but like you know commercials are all about the pre the last spot you did or or the you know having the spot the spot they're looking to shoot already on your reel um mm -hmm. how, how did it go down how tell us walk us through it yeah uh well i think how i was kind of sorting out that path was making basically shooting dp directing my own stuff that was you know very lo-fi at the time mm -hmm. but you know maybe you get lucky and you get like a celebrity face on a reel that is very young and underdeveloped but maybe that gets a couple eyes on it but i think um that happened and parlayed with uh a lot of at the time a lot of like integrated productions were becoming more normal so pitching a photographer to add motion or mm -hmm. some type of commercial on mm -hmm. top of something because some of like the commercial at the very beginning i think the first one i did was boost mobile and it was just this kind of um like anthem of you know 15 moments that were just vignettes that were all kind of these statement pieces of like stylized uh, people on phones and, and kind of conceptual and, you know, um, there's metaphor with mm -hmm. things, but it was all just a very visual, very tight visual language that it was speaking, um, that didn't, you know, it was voiceover, it didn't have dialogue. So, so I think 
after building up like a couple spots that I had created as spec spots as a DP that I shot myself, um, that with my photography work kind of gave mm -hmm. them the leap of faith to be able to try her out on this, you know, let's just roll camera, um, sure. on right. these actors or these, the talent that I'm already working with in a photography sense that I'm directing them that way. So let's just like move mm -hmm. to the next. Um, I find that directing yeah. stills sometimes is like more difficult than directing motion in terms of like act to actors, you know, and talent, because with stills, you, you literally, you're trying to find the one perfect frame, you know? <laughs> and it's like, if you want to tell the story that someone was sad because their floor was dirty and now they're happy because they now got their Swiffer or whatever. Mm -hmm. it, you have one shot to do that with and in <laughs> film you in motion. It's so easy. You're like, yeah, you can transition from sad to happy. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and also it's just easier to give them that the, the direction of like, you're giving them the beats of the story, but I feel like with stills, I'm always, you know, I haven't, I don't really do a lot of stills, but when I have, I found that it, it's hard. It seems a way more about making talent comfortable than about like, being prescriptive as to exactly what they should do though I, though i do suspect that some of the best photographers are really pres prescriptive mm -hmm. like tilt your head down a little bit to the left you know like do this and think about this you know open your eyes like look to the left like i and even when i i've photographed like amateur like my mom puts on these like community theater shows and i've photographed her cast which is all just like normal people non-actors like yeah. i find the more i talk to them and tell them exactly what to do move to your right lean back like the way better the, the more I can get them out of their own awkward head and their own awkward smiles, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You have a lot less time to tell a story. And so everything has to fit into one frame and just coming from that point of view, that's why I've sort of always been so obsessed with like these kind of heavily art directed moments, just because I want every bit of the frame to kind of bring that story to life. But also what I've realized from coming from photography and, and um, moving towards directing is just that I did learn that I had to kind of, yeah, over prescriptively direct as a photographer, but it, when it translated to, you know, a film set, um, you need to give those actors space, you know, you need to allow them mm -hmm. to develop. And so I realized that actually I had to kind of flip a little bit and reel it back and performance wise, just do less like on my end direct less and better performances will come to life so, that's really yeah. funny yeah my my philosophy like the longer i do this the like 20 years or so i've been kind of dabbling in this is like it, it's a 99.9 percent .9 about the casting you know yeah and then yeah. when you're on set it's like you barely have to do anything <laughs> and if you did the casting wrong it's like it doesn't matter if you're you know freaking Greta Gerwig it's like you're not yeah. gonna get them to be someone that they can't be you know yeah yeah totally before we we hop into the rest of our conversation just thinking a little bit more about the background as a photographer and then moving into directing Christine I'm looking through your work and it's all awesome it's really cool except for um, one spot Except for one spot, and I'm going to roast you on it. Ready? <laughs> no, no, it's all it's all really, really cool. Just has such a clear visual identity. There's a lot of the color blocking and kind of um, graphic backgrounds and things like that. There's a lot of like 
um, you know, color washes and then kind of like abstract, you know, sets basically like it's very theatrical. But then there's also a lot of even when you are on a set or on a location, it all still feels very elemental and graphic. You know, I'm looking, there's a, there's a spot where there are two women at a park and like, you know, everything's falling off and like, it's really about the form, it seems. How, talk to us just a little bit more about how you came to that style and also how you communicate that to a client. How does that come through in a pitch? The concepting and pitching process is one of my favorite parts, although it is grueling um, because I love to imagine, you know, new worlds and be able to really take the reins on bringing a brand into what I can do and then up leveling that in some really imaginative way. So I, um, you know, I think there's a lot of trust in the process of guiding them through that because I think over the years, you know, your tastes develop and I'll quote Jordan Brady, who I think was quoting somebody else, but you know, I put myself in a box. It was me. Yeah. 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 But uh, you know, his advice was like, put yourself in a box. And I did. And you know, now of course I'm in that place where I'm trying to break out of the own box. I put Mm -hmm. myself in because it, you're like, I can use more than one color, please. Yeah. 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 Um, so it worked, it, it, you know, it was really helpful to kind of come at, um, my point of view with not only a tonal voice, but a very visual aesthetic and that kind of really made it memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, yeah, with clients, it's constantly, um, I, I'm very collaborative, so I want to make sure I'm, you know, hearing them out, but I do think you, there's guiding them in a taste level that's not looking, you know, um, like a candy colored, you know, there's a, there's a taste level where it's, are we painting plants or are we, you know, what do we, where's the fine line between this like hyper real world we're making mm-hmm. because you're constantly kind of making your own rules in worlds that are kind of the stylized realism. Um, and so on set, I'm always like, well, that might not happen, but let's just say, you know, in this world, like you're kind of creating rules for your world building as you mm-hmm. go. Um, so so when you said, are we painting plants, that's a for instance of like uh, testing out where the border is, right? Like, is that what you were saying, basically? Like, do we paint plants in this spot or not? Like, and, and you literally mean like spray painting plants. Yeah, yeah. yeah which, you know, uh, being in sustainability and that has a huge uh, problem. That's the sort of level setting that you're doing is like trying to like set boundaries basically for for how this style works is that what you're saying yeah yeah because you're always trying to push yourself further in terms of your own aesthetic and go beyond what you've done before and you want to kind of carry your clients with you there as well because i think things are so proliferated with tiktok and instagram and everything it's like just that it's very easy for something to just um you know everything is a copy and a copy and a copy. So I'm constantly just kind of looking beyond that. And how can I develop uh, my voice in a way that still feels like singular and bring my clients like on that road with me, Um, especially like creatives that are constantly devouring content Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, So I don't know if that's answering your question. No, no, I think that's great. Um, It brings me to another 
anxiety slash question though, right? Like when you're, because I love what you said about like uh, developing your voice and having your work, ca- carrying your client through that voice, basically. But that is, you were in this box that is your aesthetic. Do you ever get anxious that like someday maybe that aesthetic isn't in vogue or that like it blows up on TikTok and becomes cliche all of a sudden? You know what I mean? Like, like that, do you ever have that voice of apprehension? Oh, I mean, you know, we could go down the rabbit hole with this conversation because I was just talking to a producer. Welcome to just shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, before the pandemic, I was a very different person. After Mm -hmm. the pandemic, I don't think I can create work from the same place as I did before. Um, So I've been wrestling with that for a while and kind of going through this transformation, um, which is really just going like one or two degrees in a different direction. It's not like I'm changing my whole reel, but I actually have been really kind of had my head down, haven't been so as public as much because I have been learning, you know, Unreal, learning AI, developing, you know, uh, on location reel, like just developing all these different things that I really want to be crafted within what that kind of links back to the work that I've created and isn't just all of a sudden like throwing everything away and blowing up what I made mm-hmm. before. So the, I think the pandemic was really interesting because the way that people were talking about my work was your work is so fun and it's so playful and you know, colorful. And, you know, obviously those are all surface level things. Um, and I want it to be taken seriously as a creative that has a very dark existential sense of humor that I don't mm-hmm. think people um, have seen. But so right now I, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I was, you know, in this place where I'm like, I don't even know who that person is anymore. Like, I don't even know if I can create from that same place. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm like focusing on creating these hybrid worlds that are really pushing like a mixture of like practical and digital and um, just really pushing me outside of the studio and also kind of creating sets on location. Like that's what's getting me excited about my future of my career. Um, Because yeah, I felt like I didn't even know that person anymore Um, just because it seemed weird to classify something as fun when like we've been through so much shit over the last three years um i don't think i can make advertising from that same place you know Mm -hmm. i don't i don't know i just felt very like gutted i was like i i can't like fake this like but then it felt so rich and like oh we're having so much fun (laughs) and then now it's like okay joy like joy is you know a birthright like it's it's like coming from like a different like i've seen things you know what i mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and that's where this new christina is coming from so that's a long way to say yes that kind of monochromatic look is something that like everybody does and it's not really something that is my thing anyway like anyone can you know, a stylized set anyone can do. It doesn't matter. But it's really about bringing your voice, your tone of voice, your perspective on the world. Um, Like, what do you want to say? What is important to you? And the emotion you want to get across. And that's just been what I've been focusing on, coupled with the technology I'm learning to really kind of push me forward in ways that I'm excited about. yeah, and I, I want to dig in on the the technology stuff in a second. I know Orin's chomping at the bit. No, no, I'm I'm like kind of interested in this too because I think 
you know, you're saying that anyone can do stylized sets, but trust me, I've shot a lot sure. of stylized sets and they all look my best one is looks 10 times worse than your worst one. You know, like, <laughs> like it's actually a surprisingly hard thing to do. Like your spot for, uh, I don't know if it's green mountain energy. Yeah. Like the green kitchen, like just from a mm -hmm. lighting, from a color grading point of view, from like a design, from choosing like what hues of green you're going to use mm -hmm. and what materials it's like not, it's really easy to make it look not great. Um, sure. I've done it a couple times. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, Matt. I think his uh, yeah his, his main photo on his website might be from that's true. Your that's blue true. set. I, your I blue like that blue set. Actually, it feels pretty good. The blue um, set is good, but there's yeah. to me like the the reason I always like like to go away from the stylized sets is because I get when you're doing a stylized set, it's like a hundred percent from your brain, or you know, some obviously agency or production design mm -hmm. might have some input, but it's kind of your responsibility to make it good and when i'm like on a real location it's like oh this is a, this is real like i get to be inspired by the location instead of having to create the location i just find it a thousand yeah. times easier you know you have these <laughs> built-in layers of depth whereas when you're building it yourself you have to invent those layers of depth and mm -hmm. so um but it, oh, it's uh, interesting to hear your I, point of view on it yeah well and the th i think the thing that really struck me the most christina is that it's been a long time since I've talked to somebody who thinks of and cares about advertising in such a personal and artistic way. You know, the, my favorite ads and the, the people behind my favorite ads, I think, share that sentiment. But like, it's easy to get caught up in the churn of just trying to book a job and make it a thing and da, 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 and make the money. And, you know, it's just like sell them the TV or sell them the hamburger or whatever and move on. But it's really refreshing to hear you refer to it as your art and to, to try and filter this work through a personal lens. Mm. Talk to us a little bit more about that, actually, because truly we've been doing this show for 380 something episodes. And I don't know that we've talked to anybody with this perspective. This, I mean, this wow. I mean, the intro page of every treatment ever made is like, sure, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I grew the, up I on toasty. I grew up on Tostitos. <laughs> I love it. It's, I'm so glad I got these boards because I was eating a Tostito when you sent it to me. Sure, yes. Just yesterday, I happened to see an exploding bun. But I, I, <laughs> I challenge you to find an episode where someone refers to advertising as their art. Again, like I'm thinking about Mike Mills, I'm thinking about Errol Morris. There are people who definitely are artists who are practicing their art through advertising for sure. And that's the reason that I love it. But I don't know that we've talked to many people who have that sentiment, truly. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. But I, I think I just have a, a lot of respect for short form content. So what I'm doing for myself is, you know, short films and even just like executing a, you know, really simple idea. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've got these like these kind of uh, climate emergency, um, s sarcastic, comedic ideas that, you know, would be like one minute, two minutes, five minutes, mm -hmm. because I just have not seen uh, enough. I don't even see that being done. Like, I don't even see because people are afraid to go there with a topic that is, you know, a, there's a lot of documentary style work and that's great, but I want to, I want to like gut punch people with carrying you along the story in a way. So those are things that I'm excited about. And, 
it's kind of this like Venn diagram and whether it barely graces the surface of mm-hmm. the commercials I'm working on, like the, my personal projects, you know, focusing on gender equality, like climate change and mental health. It, it just, I don't even know why it ended up happening like that, but there's this like Venn diagram of like every single idea that I want to produce personally is one of those or it overlaps. So I'm like, oh, these are what I'm interesting. Like I have a macro view of what I'm interested in now. And then that kind of attracts a certain body of work from commercial mm-hmm. work that, you know, of course, there's way too many cooks in the kitchen. So typically the idea has been dwindled down and squeezed out to be something that's so vanilla, especially in the US. I feel like European work is so much more high level, high concept, and really interesting, like the way that they push they really push concepts and but in yeah, the US the reward it's risk game. taking there. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess um I have always thought of advertising as an art form, but uh it's kind of scary now. I think it's different because now our data and the algorithms are consuming mm-hmm. us in a way that's just like we don't know what's real. So that's a little different. But um but I guess I wouldn't call I mean my art is sort of like um, you know, I'm working on a lot of different, I'm like in the web three space, I'm kind of experimenting with, you know, AI tools to be able to interpolate frames and just, you know, just kind of pushing things to be able to solve problems in more effective ways. Um, So I think about it holistically, but Mm -hmm, I'm glad. mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you think I yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting. No, it's really fascinating. So you're saying, though, that like it's less that you think of the Tostito spot that you're pitching on next week as your art, but that your personal projects tend to help you help guide the work that you were the, the paid work that you're up for. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Or, or, and rather that you've shifted, certainly you've shifted your personal perspective towards like prioritizing that, those personal projects more and that those have changed. I guess it's, it's both, but I think you're right. I think I do. I have seen spots that you don't think are ads that are so empowering. And that's the type of stuff that I get excited about, like the Klarna mm-hmm. weird and whimsical worlds that they build, the lure pack, like like cinematic kitchen, you know, just to be able to mm-hmm. rapture, to be able as a filmmaker, to be able to bring your like your sentiment into a 30 second. And actually, when they give you the power to uh, really make it feel like a, a trailer to a feature film, like mm-hmm. it's possible because I, I have I get so inspired by, you know, very specific sp- spots that are done so well at such a high level uh that i know can really enrapture an audience and be like oh it's for you know the uh payment system or something Mm -hmm. um so uh, yeah i do get excited about that because i think it's this way to like exercise your ideas and get funded to make them happen you know like have a company you know you pitch all these things that have been on your back burner of Mm -hmm. uh, ideas you're like hey what about this it's been on my to-do list Yes, sure. check the box. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And I mean, I do kind of feel also that like your aesthetic is your art, right? And like you're saying you're taking your client on a journey. You're trying to push your aesthetic in a way that the client can appreciate and helps them too. It's kind of like you're bringing them to your art team and they're probably talking to you because they mm-hmm. already like your aesthetic to begin with. Yeah, I think most... uh 
everything kind of reflects the, you know, fine art world in a lot of ways or just like sculpture. And so there are so many things that are kind of stolen from, you know, real artists that get kind of remixed and become a part of the zeitgeist of the language. Um, but I think everyone's kind of aiming for that, uh, except it's hard to find funding to just you know, sure. be an artist. Just to be an artist. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because I think you're helping me realize about myself that oftentimes I would look at commercial filmmaking in particular as a opportunity to practice my craft and maybe lend and certainly lend my point of view and perspective and all of that. But that like, I was happy with the work as long as it was executed with a level of craft that I was trying to push. Like, let's try a different technique or let's get my lighting better. Or I really want to focus on sound this time. And I was less worried about the personal lens and more worried about the artifice that I was trying to create. Like, how, how can I make this feel more seamless in some way or punchier or whatever, you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an opportunity to push yourself, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I do bring a lot of my personal stuff everywhere I go. That's what you're sensing and how I'm talking about it. I hope so. I didn't That's even cool. realize. I That's didn't cool. realize. No, it's rad. No, I mean, there, there are kind of two types of directors. I don't know if you read that article I sent you, Matt, about like the hacks that, that someone, there's an article about how we should hire more hacks to direct mm -hmm. Hollywood films. Like, that the Meg two was directed by someone that, like one Sundance and done all these like amazing films. And then he made this movie that is like kind of universally panned because they hired this like super artistic director to direct kind of like the super formulaic movie. And like, maybe you get the formulaic people to do the formulaic stuff and get the artists to do the artsy stuff, to take the risks, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like just like, you know, seeing your body of work it's like clearly you have a you have some like people come to you for something and you're you're always pushing it and kind of like you took those stylized sets and like with green mountain energy you did this virtual studio production combined with stylized sets and really pushed it to like a new place that is artistic but also serves you know like a commercial purpose um so i guess on that note you've already kind of hinted at it multiple times but like tell us a little bit about like your like take take us on the journey that you're going on from a tech standpoint you know from web3 and ai and virtual production and convince matt and me who you know we've obviously heard these words nonstop, and you know we must we use mid journey for treatments and things like that but like tell us like what tell us what why it's an interesting tool for like the actual production of film yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I, well, I think I first would say that I'm not really a part of the camp that wants to just put out a film that's AI, all AI, and it's all of a sudden I'm, you know, doing animated films because I, you know, yeah. like, because I mean, it's like a parlor Dolly. trick, right? It's like a yeah. demo, <laughs> a software demo that all these people are putting out. Yeah. So I think that's all happening and people are experimenting. And I think the great ones are making aligning with their vision as an artist, as a director, as a filmmaker. It feels like it's coming from their voice. Uh, and it's not just like out of left fields, like, oh, I do, you know, like 
you know, I, I do comedy, I do cars, I do tabletop, I do. So I, I'm trying to separate myself from just like doing a grab. Like I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in longevity. I'm interested in the long game, like collaborators that I want to grow with. And so I don't know where to start, I guess, Unreal Engine, I guess, Green Mountain. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, with, um, with that project, it actually came down to having uh, so many, such a post, a very tight post-production um, timeline that there was really no way the job could get done unless we were able to kind of get as much practically in camera. Because the amount of, I'm sorry, go ahead. Just, just to set the table. Sure. uh, This project is a great example of like, it mixes practical sets, like you were saying with, with, it sounds like some sort of volume or or, or a post process that you'll, you'll walk us through in a second, but it's like, it's a little bit of both. And then it's like kind of different vignettes, basically, again, with a lot of graphic elements, but like, you're kind of going from scene to scene and these kind of like fluid transitions. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, for the client was green mountain energy. The campaign came through. I saw the boards last summer. They Which were is a at, power company and not an energy drink. Is that right? It's a, it's a energy company that serves yeah. a lot of the East coast, Texas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it was through the agency 160 over 90 and they had been working through these boards. They, I had seen them working through this big anthem campaign because they reached out kind of almost too early and then there was two months of them reconcepting because they realized that the amount of stuff they wanted to shoot was going to be nearly impossible for the budget they had so they they went like two months dark i didn't even think it was still happening they came back to me and um at the time i wasn't signed with anyone so i had this like massive job i didn't know where to take it um how did they find you Actually, I had worked with the creative director on a Pantene project, and she, you know, we've had a relationship since then, um, right before the pandemic, actually. And she just remembered me and she recommended me to the EP. And so it, I think it was a triple bid, um, but we, um, yeah. So so the, the they had this anthem, a 60 second anthem, a 30. They had a lot of different cut downs, some specific for you know, Earth Day and some specific for different regions and, you know, different languages, of course. So anything like that with a post timeline, um, we really only had the budget to shoot three days. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're in my aesthetic, we're not going to go on location. Um, and are we actually going to lean so heavy on post that every single thing is on green screen when we're talking about showing wind and solar in a creative way on camera? So it became kind of this blended uh, solution that was practical miniatures um, using Unreal Engine environments that felt, you know, nature is kind of a really good place to start with Unreal Engine because there's just so many available on the marketplace um, in Unreal mm-hmm. Engine marketplace. Um, and so Epic you, Games. Can, you just you just buy a forest and you're good to go. It's not like someone has to go uh, and model yeah. things necessarily or, or walk us through. Like when you say in the marketplace, yeah, yeah. What, what makes it? Um, advantageous. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. So in what's okay, what's really cool about Epic Games is they're trying to democratize the this whole process of, you know, VFX 3D and be able to allow you to just, you know, they obviously have their own reasons because they want uh, more allegiance to gaming. And this is a very small slice of their business. But the marketplace is where they have tons they of make tutorials. Epic. They make Unreal. Epic makes Unreal Engine. Um, and 
Their marketplace is where there are things you can buy that are environments, assets, 3D elements, trees, you know, um, a castle uh, in an environment. So some things are free. They have so many tutorials. Like they really, there's a lot of access, but things break every time because they're constantly updating their software. So the pro- the pre-production process for Green Mountain Energy was very different than anything I've ever experienced, of course, because you are virtual tech scouting. You know, I'm doing a Zoom tech scout, like a location scout of a virtual environment, which was so meta that I got so excited about this idea that I'm like peering through this um, this virtual environment, placing camera, locking a camera position. No, it's not just like you buy this out of the box and you could just implement it. There's a lot of, you need text to be able to make it less heavy of an environment to load. You know, I think it's basically deleting levels and layers of things that you don't need. Um, because you and, need it to react in real time to your camera movement. Exactly. So yeah, parallax and um, the syncing with camera is a big component with searching, uh, shooting virtual production. Um, But there's not a lot of Unreal text that really, that's a really interesting niche. I would suggest anybody listening, go down that rabbit hole because people need, they're trying to hire, there's just not enough people that understand how to work um, and production, virtual production with Unreal. It's... um, it's a thing. Like you'll get hired immediately if you know what you're doing um, or even like half know what you're doing. <laughs> you knew that you wanted to do miniatures. You wanted to build these stylized sets, but you wanted to set this all in like these vast exterior environments. Yeah. Effectively, if you wanted to do this practically, you'd need to build a set in the giant valley, a pristine green valley. Right. You have a valley, you have a beach, you have mountains, you have all these different like kind of suburbs and exurbs and like at what point do you say like oh i wonder if we should do a virtual studio and like can if we can afford a virtual studio right right uh yeah the options were yeah green screen uh, with so many so many comps um yeah somehow doing this as a location that would have never worked with the timing or budget um, and then the other thing that has been done before, but it just, you know, I'm kind of moving away from that, which is, um, you know, these like painterly backdrops that you could rent, um, that is, you know, something you kind of bring in sometimes, but there, it's, there's no moving elements, you know, it's very mm-hmm. static. It's not reactive in any way. Uh, mm-hmm. so it, yeah, it came up, um, through conversations with the art department with, trying to find the solutions of how to be able to move through these, you know, 10 plus different sets with having all these different backdrops that they asked. They wanted to make sure it was speaking to a broad range of customers all over um, the U.S. So that was that, that was those were the asks. And it was a production solution kind of that we came up with as a team that we pitched and they we're down for. Um, yeah. And is it expensive? Uh, it has been such a transformation. Uh, costs for the, for virtual studios have already gone down like 30%. I think there was a lot of investment money that was coming in around the pandemic. So we've got all these, you know, XR stages that are 30 K a day. Um, who can afford that? You know, who can justify that? You really have to pitch it hard in terms of a process that is viable. But 
just with my conversations with a lot of these stages, they've, you know, I think they're just kind of realizing like they want people in there. They want people using the stage. Mm -hmm. So they're looking to become more affordable. And um, so it's become much more affordable since I shot even like almost a year, six months, nine months ago. So it's, so it's, even if it's like 15 K a day, do you still on top of that have to pay for the environment and have to pay labor for people to rig everything? Sing? And do you need to, can you use your cameras and like with their device on it or do you have to use their cameras or? No, you can, you can use your cameras. I mean, I think there's like a preference, obviously, like, you know, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like we had an Alexa LF just because of the large format sensor. And like, I think, um, I think it's bundled in like most studios include, um, the unreal tech to be able to manage the wall because, but you know, if you wanted to get nitty gritty where you're actually connecting with people and you could bring in your own team, I'm sure that would be an option. But what I've seen is like, that's the package. Um, and a lot of these studios are building up their own libraries. So they'll say like, look in our library, see if any of these environments work for you that you probably don't need to pay for. Um, but the environments are not expensive. Uh, so it's, you know, they're like a hundred bucks or, you know, they're not very expensive to buy these backgrounds. Yeah. And does it make a difference? Like I have some friends that just shot on like a digital LED screen, but it wasn't like a, a virtual environment, right? Like yeah. in, in your shots, like you needed the environment to move with the camera. Like you couldn't have just had some mountains or trees in the background. Right. Yeah. Well, I was really pushing to just have any type of camera movement. Cause I think with all of the post asks, I think I get stuck in uh, solutions where it's like, let's just add this as a post transition. And then the whole spot becomes all post transitions. And then you're just kind of bummed that nothing is in camera. And so I was just pushing to try to feel that sensibility as much as possible to feel like an active camera that's alive. And, um, and there was a, I really wanted to connect the exterior shots with the interiors by kind of flying with the firefly like being one with the firefly you fly through the um the this like circular window and so that was like a tracking move that was requiring you know that um arm to kind of like the spider to kind of go through the window and then introduce like all of the interior shots basically um yeah I i'm curious having having not shot in a virtual environment before the thing that's always sounded really enticing to me is that it feels like the fun of being on set and being able to act upon a moment of inspiration of being like oh what if you you pan the camera a little bit or what if you do that you know like take two big steps forward or whatever but you're seeing the results of those decisions in real time with uh, as the environment is moving around you right like that's the case right it, it that's the ultimately the catch or ultimately the difference from a filmmaking perspective relative to just having a great green screen composite team. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, to be able to see things in camera, to be able to light the scene to match, you know, it's just so mm -hmm. fluid. Um, and it's really exciting to like, not have to do like live King, like to be able to see it baked in, um, you know, but there's pros and cons to that. Maybe there's some cleanup you have to do of the screen. Um, but with the, yeah, with regard to the 
yeah, the pros of shooting on the volume. I love the fact that, you know, I've got my headset on and I can just ask to change the time of day. Mm-hmm. I can just change the angle of the sun because the shadow is too heavy on this one area. Um, but I think if you have the right team, like if you have had conversations with the studio to make sure that they're prepping you for success, because I know a lot of horror stories where, sure. you know, everything's breaking, you're not getting your shots, you can't restart. Mm-hmm. So that's just like an inexperienced um, team that's, you know, because it's just going to make them look bad. <laughs> like the studio's not serving you because the software keeps breaking because the environment's too big to load and all those things. So, right. well, speaking of those complications that can arise when you're, you're shooting on a virtual set, like now you have a new short film coming out, right? Um, yes, yes. Tightrope. What's it called? Uh, the Last Rhinestone Cowboy. Oh, sorry. The Last Rhinestone Cowboy. And you shot, you did virtual production for that, but this is your own short film. Yes. Yeah. How do you, how do you finance something like that? Like how, how can people learn how to use the volume and without getting like a half million dollar budget, you know, from a commercial? I really, I mean, it's all about relationships. Um, I think a lot of these stages are empty and trying to book and trying to create relationships with directors that they're hoping will bring, uh, you know, real jobs. So it's really that negotiation tactics to be able to, they want to help out budding filmmakers. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been talking to like Soapbox Films and like we were, I was almost going to use their space and they've partnered with AR Wall and there's a lot, a lot of these companies and they just want to get their, if they have even use cases, um, because they need people to use their wall. Um, but I did have an amazing connection that I needed to use before the wall was uninstalled. So I hurried up to hustle an idea out of my brain. And um, I've kind of had these LED concepts sort of vaguely, like anything that involves a nearly impossible camera shot, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, being able to have a diving board that's, you know, a thousand feet up. Obviously, all these things can be done in with green screen, but I just was excited about showing different ideas that were was not just a car commercial. It's not the Mandalorian. It's these like abstract use cases. Um, so that's where I came up with like, oh shit, like tightrope walkers. Like we got to do a tightrope concept. It's always high up in the air and you could totally, you could fake it in the way where we're creating this practical environment of this cityscape. So it's very surreal. Um, you know, it's, a, it's a, personal project so it's a low budge little fun i had um yeah, but i'm proud of it low budget um, virtual volume production. <laughs> yeah right yeah. Um, yeah yeah well let's shift gears real quick onto ai because i i do think i i'm very curious about virtual production i think it's an awesome solution i i also you know work as a vfx artist and have made done yeah. many a green screen <laughs> comp and I'm very excited about not doing green screen comps um, <laughs> uh, because they just, you know, it's really hard to make them look great, you know, for all the reasons that a volume does look great. You know, just the interactive lighting, the light wraps, the understanding, mm-hmm. like framing for the background. But I do honestly think like for me as just like my own small project or for our kind of average listener, it's probably prohibitive to to get mm-hmm. into that space right. like without having done brought them like a huge project in the mm-hmm. past or having all these 
I think it's super important that people cultivate these relationships and what you're saying about these places being empty and trying to kind of lure working filmmakers into learning about them is valuable for our listeners to be like, ooh, maybe I should just like go take a tour. Which, by the way, like if you're listening and you're in L.A. or New York or Atlanta or anywhere that has like film production, like you should just be like find your local, you know, volume and student stage and email them and say, I'd love to take a tour. I'm a filmmaker. And I'm sure you'll meet some great people. But I think that the other thing that you'd mentioned that I think is probably more accessible to everyone that's willing to put the time in is AI stuff. Um, and so what I'm really curious what you're doing, you know, on that front. Yeah, um, I, I've kind of been paying attention to different outlets and just kind of consuming it. I was I was doing some tests starting about, I don't know, six months or so ago and just wasn't getting excited. Like I wasn't getting the results I wanted. I kind mm -hmm. of was hitting a wall and um, I just was like, yeah, I just it just wasn't clicking for me yet. And but I was still staying open to it. Um, and then I basically had two weeks off and I had this film that I'm that we just talked about. And I realized that what am I shit? What am I going to do about an intro and outro <laughs> that I wasn't able to shoot? Um, oh, you so, already shot it, but you didn't have the intro and the outro shot. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I did what I could on the wall, which was I only did one scene in wides, mediums and close ups. So that's what I could do in a day and how much I could kind of wrangle together. So I was trying to think of solutions of how to bring myself into this world and I think I just went down a rabbit hole where it finally clicked for me. And it honestly was a combination of like going into runway and then not getting the results I wanted. So going into Dolly, extending a background, exporting that, seeing if mid journey could give me a more realistic output. And then, but then getting annoyed because it was going too sci-fi and I'm like, Oh, damn. you know, like it just yeah. can constantly it does like have a personality <laughs> that's hard to, yeah, like we're supposed, you know, obviously if we're these prompt engineers, we're supposed to, but like who has time? So that's the thing is, sure, if you have time to dedicate and really hone in these tools, then you could get closer and closer. But at some times I just have to walk away and come back to it. Like ChatGPT, you know, you're annoying me. I'll come back. I'm like, oh, okay, this is getting closer. So what I did was I came up with this opening shot that was based on a stock footage that I grabbed and I extended the background um, as a still frame. So there's some VFX cleanup, but it kind of gives you this illusion, you know, obviously, or, and you probably, um, this like hyperlapse, like zoom out of earth into another planet. And that's what I was looking for. And we had these placeholders that were just Adobe stock, but I wanted something that was more bespoke. And also that really spoke to this like surreal landscape that I was imagining these space cowboys that are, you know, wearing rhinestones and they're like in the middle of some weird planet doing a, you know, a duel, doing a walk off on a tightrope. like what is happening? Um, and so it made sense that even if it was like subtly AI, but mostly based in kind of a live action aesthetic, like I didn't want it to go full painterly. Mm -hmm. So I kind of came up with um, a solution to be able to extend, uh, of extend footage and fake a shot that was a zoom out of earth. And then also, um, like the ending shot is kind of also, I extended the set. My set was, you know, it was almost too tight 
so I went into Dali. I extended it to make it look like a larger cityscape and then to kind of fake this zoom punch in. So it was a lot of like faked camera moves with, you know, some still frames. But with Gen 2 and Runway, there's there, now you can create a video that's up to um, 15 seconds or something like that. Oh, yeah, 16, I think. Yeah, and I made a bird based off of stock footage, but I made it look like my own this because I, I was literally going to have to go back to the 3D artist that made my background and ask him to, you know, animate a bird creature that looked like it was from a, another planet that looked like a hawk, but wasn't quite a hawk. Is he going to do it for free? Like, probably not. He's not, you know, how many favors have I already asked? And this came up last minute. So then I realized maybe I can just solve this problem myself. And um, so I had fun doing it. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> found some footage I was playing with, ran it through some different prompts, got some results that worked. And uh, so that's my latest exploration. So are you using your, are you, you're taking footage and running it through Runway? Gen so two? I'm taking, yeah, like, I, you know, buying stock footage, pulling things, you know, doing the green screen tracking. That's like so easy on that to be able to just isolate the bird, make the bird more of what I wanted it to be, because it's it's like a ubiquitous shot. You know, it's sort of this like Western feel of this. I needed a shot that every that was setting you up to know what you were watching, which was, mm -hmm. you know, you just need that hawk flying across the sun and blocking out the sunlight briefly like that that thing that just kind of sets you in that mindset of, you know, you're kind of in this Western world. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't, it wasn't necessary to pay somebody to make something bespoke for something that was so quick, but I needed that to be able to get me into this world as opposed to just, you know, it was just a little less crass than like landing in the world. <laughs> so, so just, just to, uh, to regurgitate back to you, uh, cause I want to make sure I'm tracking appropriately. Basically, you needed kind of like a bespoke establishing shot. You had it in your mind. You hacked it together with uh, stock footage and then filtered it through runway, which is like uh, a video AI, basically. Right. So like cliche, like the demo example is like you have someone walking down the street or whatever and you want it to be claymation and it makes it claymation. Right. Mm -hmm. So so yeah. you work and on runway like, as a it's a set of a bunch of different tools. Gotcha. Yeah, Gen okay. 2 is their yeah. kind of latest and greatest video generating. So th that's yeah. that's helpful to clarify for sure. I, I did not know that. But so but so basically it gives you you you're looking to combine prompts and then source footage to create the thing that matches your vision and sets the tone for the rest of the film purely through stock footage and AI. Is that right? Yes. That was my solution when the 3D artist that I had been working with on the background, you know, he wasn't available for another two weeks. And also I didn't really have more money that I could afford to pay him to do the work. So I felt even bad, like reaching back out. Um, so these basically these ideas sort of came up because of the problems I was trying to solve. Mm -hmm. But I'm very collaborative and, I, you know, I would prefer to work uh, like on paid projects. I mean, I'm going to work with people and I want to in every capacity. But, um, but I was proud that I sort of came up with a solution that actually aligns with the aesthetic of the film mm -hmm. because it is more surreal and it kind of works in a way. So runway ML, it, it's free by the way, anyone can use it. They have gen two. You can uh, basically run Ramel. 
Ren Waymel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, now I know what you guys are talking about. You can. So I I had generated some images for a treatment with Midjourney, and I yeah. You can just upload a single image to Gen Two, and it will animate it for you. So if it's like. You know, the example you see is like an astronaut and then it'll make the astronaut kind of turn their head and look around, right? And float or whatever. Um, it just kind of mm-hmm. guesses as to like the motion of your image. I had just really bizarro results that didn't add up to anything. Yeah. I ended up not using them at all. But um, it's, it is, uh, if you're making something surreal, it's a great tool. If you're making something like real photorealistic and really come, if you're didn't, like really committing to your aesthetic, it's like hard to get it to match what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and it really is about like how much time do you have to prompt engineer it as close to what you want as possible. So in a, in a, I think the tools, these tools will be used for pitching for, mm-hmm. you know, Right. where it actually integrates Concepting. into commercial work. Yeah. Is obviously a whole nother conversation just with like legal. Um, but it is pushing things forward in a way where you can communicate your ideas perhaps faster with these tools. I listened to this, um, this, like this other podcast called prop G, but he, I, I think he says it pretty well is that, um, AI is not going to replace your job, but the, you know, the person that understands AI will replace your job. Um, which I think has some validity to it because I don't really believe these, you need to manipulate these tools. I mean, mm-hmm. you need to have, you need to kind of puppetry them into your world or your use that you need them to work for. So um, it's hard to ignore this big, this big movement that's happening. So I do feel like if find your, find your way, find your path, um, even if it's just in your process, you know, yeah. yeah storyboarding <laughs> like i you know doing your own doodles boom <laughs> one know? of my one of the most interesting things i read about ai this week was that chat gpt usage was way down um over like the last couple of weeks and it's that people the like big burst of like this is the solution to everyone's problems of all time has kind of been like okay it's basically just high schoolers like writing their romeo and juliet essays now you know <laughs> And people like writing complaint letters or just the things that. Hey, writing contracts. Yeah. That the, a lawyer. Yeah. That we're like tired of doing, but can kind of do themselves, you know, if you have the right person, but they're not really, they're not writing new episodes of TV, clearly. Yeah. Right. What's next? I mean, obviously I have your short film coming out. Anything uh, we should be on the lookout for? Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to be shooting an, another short in a couple of weeks and just very, very excited about that because it's one of those things where you've wanted to partner with somebody you've been talking about it with, you know, an actor friend for years, months. Um, we've, I pitched multiple scripts to them and then finally this one kind of came to fruition a lot faster. Um, so shooting that, uh, really excited, um, it's also it on location and it's all about, you know, dialogue and it's kind of that like satirical climate tone that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's my first me actually getting it out of my head, that's, which is exciting. I mean, obviously you have this commercial career. You're, you're also still a photographer. Why, like, why take all the time and energy and money to make 
your own short films instead of kind of focusing that energy on like getting more jobs? Well, I think there is a way to use it to get more jobs, but I know I literally ask myself that question all the time. Like, <laughs> is this going to be worth it? Is this going to be the investment that I, you know, that I put into this short that's going to, but if I don't keep making these things, uh, I try to make at least one short a year. And I've realized that when I can look back on the work, there is this anthology building that's exciting that actually is moving towards a macro you know, body of work that's exciting. And when you're in it and you're only looking at the one idea, and so at least I can kind of reflect back on uh, these are my opinions that I want to get out into the world and I want to share. Um, that I do feel like if I if I don't make anything and if it's always me making a spec spot, then it kind of gets a little old. Like I think creatives want to be inspired by what you're actually interested in. So I kind of go back and forth between like, oh, I'm just going to make something that feels super spec like geared towards this. I'm going to make a car commercial or something. And then I go back to like, oh, I just want to do something that's completely creative because that's when I think creatives want to have conversations about what how you're actually thinking. And then a creative director who's a wannabe screenwriter, you know, or a copywriter, you know, they're like, hey, let's partner together and make something. I think everybody in advertising wants to be, you know, a director screenwriter like they're all they all just have tough jobs that they chose because it pays the pills um and maybe maybe obviously they probably love it um but i think advertising is just a microcosm of like wanting to actually be working in features and scripted so i think short films i i i'm getting rid of the idea that they don't they aren't they're not for nothing um mm -hmm. Because you think they don't get seen, but they actually are a conversation piece with so many people. Uh, and I feel like I've gotten a little stagnant. Like I need to start making things that I'm really proud of again. Um, I think that's really important just for my own like sanity. So. Yeah, just shooting it. Amen. Yeah. Well, I can't think of a better uh, sentiment to, <laughs> to, to, exactly. to end on, right? That was so good. Christina, before we hop into unpaid endorsements, where can listeners keep track of all of the cool things you've got going on? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, archerstudio.co is my website. Instagram is archerstudio with the dot between the stud and dot io. Yes, very annoying. So, archerstudio, but I'm the per person that pops up. Um, and yeah, those are the main things, <gasps> I think. TikTok, I don't know, trying to do TikTok. <laughs> Barely scratching the surface of that whole microcosm. Do you do LinkedIn? Oh, yeah. Love LinkedIn. Classy. You're a classy guy. Do you Boy. feel like you get like that it's worth the time for a filmmaker to like invest into LinkedIn? I, yeah, because I can follow people move around so much. <laughs> so it's like an excuse to be like, oh, you moved to this you know, place. Let's reconnect. What are you working on? That's the reason because you could easily lose track of all of the people that you've worked with on every single project. Um, so it's kind of how I keep tabs on people. Right. And when you mean people, you're talking about like more of the people that hire you as yes. opposed to the people that you hire. Yes, yes, yes. The people yeah. we hire are on Instagram. The people that hire us are on Instagram. <laughs> right. right. That's right. a general rule. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I like that. Right. Awesome. Okay, cool. 
Well, are you? Will you hang out for some unpaid endorsements? Yeah, sure. Why not? Unpaid endorsements. Okay, so my unpaid endorsement actually uh, dovetails off of an endorsement, Orin, that you made years ago. Now, there's this YouTube channel called Raka Raka that Orin, you turned me on to mm-hmm. probably six or seven years ago. Now, you know this channel, Christina? No, I doubt. Raka Raka. Raka Raka. C K A R A C K A. So okay. they're uh, a pair of brothers who are just like insane, really more stunt performers. They grew up on wrestling and action movies. And like uh, they made these just crazy uh, YouTube like short films that would be like DC versus Marvel or Harry Potter versus Star Wars. But they would be hyper violent, like just really, really bonkers. Uh, so fast forward, they, they're making all these crazy videos. They end up getting blacklisted from YouTube because they're too violent. I mean, they're um, like they're literally taking their like eight year old brother and throwing him through like glass doors. And, and what was what was awesome about it? Not only was it like the stunts were really crazy, but like you'd be like, oh, man, they just demolished that table and they like broke through a wall. And then you think about it for two seconds and you're like, oh, that's just some drywall. And a table they found on the curb. Like looking back on the videos, you're like, oh, these VFX are kind of homespun in a way that totally <laughs> works. Like there's zero complaints about the them. VFX. Yeah, but the, the stunts are the real. stunts are I mean, crazy. These guys truly, are like, wow. truly crazy. It's like hard to watch stunts. So it's like so crazier a, than like jackass. Truly, they, they, there's a reason they get blacklisted from from YouTube for being like too adult, basically. So then they they. Uh, turn to feature filmmaking and they make this film talk to me that becomes the toast of Sundance last year a24 picks How it up not realize it was the rocker rocker guys it just I would never connect I mean they seem like the dumbest people in, in your high school right like yeah, that, yeah that's their They're personas like, these dudes like the dude who just jumped off a roof at the party twice you know what I mean like yeah, onto his brother's nuts or whatever yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah exactly like the stupidest thing you can think of there, it's 10 times stupider what they do. Crazy. And then, and they made an A24 film. An ah. A24 called, called Talk to Me. That's about, if you think about it for a second, is about, um, you know, kids going viral through like demonic possession is kind yeah. of the pitch of that movie. So it, it makes sense in a certain, you know, twisted way. Anyway, um, they're back on YouTube and they have a vlog of them posted that they posted after they got into Sundance that just kind of tells the story of their Sundance premiere and then acquisition. Um, that's awesome. I'm, I'm not joking. I cried. It was a 10 minute, 10 minute YouTube video. And I called, tr- we made a horror film. Talk it's to called, me. it's called, we made a horror film. Talk to me. And I straight up cried. Look, to be <laughs> fair, they were like sobbing because they got into Sundance and that was like, had always been a, a, their, their filmmaking dream had been realized. So obviously like that's a very personal uh, relationship. Like I totally see myself and them as a person who grew up making movies in my backyard and you see them doing the thing you've always wanted to do. So like, look, is it going to like make your mom cry? Probably not. Right. Uh, But it was really well done and really fun. But so my endorsement is Raka Raka. We made a horror film. I have some resources for people working in like commercial treatments. And I started using this thing called uh, Kiv.ai. It's mm-hmm. K-I-V-E. And basically you can, 
it ought, when you add all of the references you've been, you know, scouring for years, put it in a library and it kind of auto tags things for you um, to kind of make your treatment process, you know, a little bit more streamlined. So I have that. But then I was just at SIGGRAPH last Did you pay week. for it? Sorry. I do. Yeah. Um, just because I have a lot of stuff, but like constantly just kind of. How many images things. do you have? Like thousands? Oh, my like God. Like 5,000? Uh, yeah, it's, it's like way more than that. Um, a lot of references. So it gets a little out of hand because you know you're searching for the one thing and then you can't find it. Right. And you um, know it's an image that you have, but you don't know yeah. how to find it. Yeah, that's where I realized my process is flawed and I needed to intervene. Uh, I will say if people are interested in um, you know, using AI as a tool for image generation, um, that's like a little bit more honed in. That's I think it's absolutely brilliant. View Studio, which is the LED volume uh, that I worked with in Nashville that has Las Vegas location. They bought a company and they've developed two different things. One is view.ai, which is a node-based way to generate uh, images. So you can actually, and it pulls, it's pulling from Dali and Midjourney, and like it's pulling from these different resources and there's presets. So you don't have to be a prompt engineer. Mm-hmm. And I met the gentleman that made this super brilliant um, so that it's just more responsive. You can go back and edit one node of your prompt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it so I think that's so, so it's like changer. almost like a like an a like a stack of adjustment layers, right? Like yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool. It's cool, super cool. cool. Yeah, it's just vu.ai. It is in beta right now, so definitely hop on that. And then they also made this thing called SceneForge, which is actually um, PC only, but there is a Mac version of development. But if you are interested in previs with virtual production, they have developed something that you can, you know, you have all the tools. You could, you know, adjust your, obviously your camera, incorporate, you know, actors, all of those things. So I think they're doing really cool stuff. And for me, like you guys come from a VFX background. I have no skills in previs, and that's been like such a huge, big component of something I've wanted to fill in the gap for. So I'm trying to constantly find tools that can like get me, you know, there faster. <laughs> awesome. Um, so Scene Forge, yeah. Just real quick, there's a new After Effects beta out, and they have a new updated version of Rotobrush, Rotobrush three. Ooh, it's way. Two is way better than one, and three is way better than two. Rotobrush is like this tool in After Effects where you can just like draw some strokes over like anything you want to cut out of a video, and it'll kind of outline whatever you want to cut out. Uh, we call it rotoscoping and, and visual effects, and it'll do a pretty good job. You hit like play, and it'll do a pretty good job of going frame by frame and cutting out a person or a bird, hawk. You know, out of a, uh, it doesn't have to be like against the sky. It can be against the crowded, you know, uh, marketplace or whatever it is. Like, um, it's it's pretty good. So I've been playing around with it. I'm doing a pitch on this thing with like a bunch of clones and things, and you know, using the same person over and over. And so for my pitch, I wanted to do some like animated gifs and stuff of clones, and it's been, it's it's amazing. I, I can do it. I can work so fast with it. So check it out if you are into that stuff. The other thing is an app. So I bought this teleprompter. I've been doing these like video treatments recently and they're awesome. Every time 
I submit one. Someone's like, whoa, your treatment like blew me away. And I'm like, my treatment wasn't even good, but you're just not used to getting treatments like this. <laughs> and the treatment is just me talking to camera about how I want to shoot this thing. 80% of the time, my kids come into the room while I'm recording and I make some joke about them being in the room and I cut, you know, jump cut to like back on track, which I think gets me some points. <laughs> but uh and then i just intercut it with footage and examples and things you know but what i have a really hard time with is like i write myself a script and i'm like i just put it on my computer monitor and i put my phone kind of in front of the script to film myself and mm -hmm. i'm trying to make it look like my eyes are kind of looking into the lens or i'm trying to scoop up the words and say them into the camera but it's just it's just not working i can't i can't talk fast enough while looking into the lens and reading the script so i was like i'm just gonna buy a teleprompter <laughs> so I bought a teleprompter uh, from Glide, Glide Gear, it's called. Uh, but while doing that, I was, they're like, oh, you have to install your own teleprompter app onto this iPad that will reflect on this teleprompter. And in finding the app, I just found a free one called Teleprompter. I found another app that the same company makes called Video Teleprompter. Really creative names here. <laughs> but uh, do you know about this app, Video Teleprompter? No. I, don't. I, I work with prompters all the time. So right. Oh, yeah, you're doing a lot of prompter. Too much prompter work lately. So video prompter, it's you, you can install it on your iPhone or your iPad, maybe non-iOS devices too, but who cares? And you can upload a script, copy it. You know, I usually write my stuff into like my notes app and then I just copy and paste it into the prompter app. You can change the font size, do all the things, but you can re it records you on your phone or tablet while it scrolls the text on top of the video. But it's, it puts the text right next to where your camera is. So if you're you know, in landscape, it'll put the text on the mm -hmm. side of your phone that the camera is on. Um, if you're in you know, vertical, like 9 by 16, it'll put the text at the top of the screen by where your camera is. And it's recording you and showing you the teleprompter at the same time. And it works really well. I mean, it looks like you're looking into the lens because you pretty much are looking but you, into the lens. But you have to use the selfie lens, basically? Yeah, use the selfie camera. Which, you know, on the iPhone 11, sure. 12, 13, 14, iPad Pro, whatever, they're all decent. I mean, for me, I'm making these like explainer videos. So it's like, sure. I almost want them to look like lo-fi, you know, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I'm like kind of going anti-production value and more into like, I just want to talk to you, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I like, I like the selfie cam anyway, because I can see the frame while I'm shooting it. Uh, so yeah, so now I bought this teleprompter and it's all set up to work with my Sony and all this stuff, but I'm like, damn, I should have just used this app. So video teleprompter is the name of the app. Anyhow, Christina, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you want to email us and let us know what you think about AI taking away all our jobs or, uh, unreal taking away all our jobs, then, uh, please email us. We're just shoot it pod <laughs> at gmail.com. Send your hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been really great. Thanks so much for having me. And um, yeah, this was fun. Yeah, for sure. And if you want to, yes, here, I, maybe we'll post the links to the stuff we talked about on our site. Just shoot I'm, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Um, you can find us across all social media at just shoot it pod. I'm on Instagram and threads at O Kaplan. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. And produced by Tyler Small. And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.